0: It came to me in a dream. I didn't know who Looking Glass was. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it, it, you know, almost as though the uh, universe was speaking to me, um, it began this long journey. And, I mean, I came, I mean, I'm born and raised in that same plateau country that the Nez Perce came from and the Yakima and all the other uh, different indigenous peoples. And I didn't know anything about them. Mm. And, you know, they've been here for 16,000 years. And most of us know very little about their history and know very few of them. Um, right. In Washington State, the, the prejudice against uh, Native Americans was uh, was deep and extensive and still is to a degree, except the the Native peoples have have, you know, gained their voices and their power, you know, partly through the, the media that now has become available to them. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's. It's like learning about anybody else's culture. You have to, you know, do it slowly and don't make assumptions and uh, have respect. This
1: is Tokyo Tonight. <laughs> Tokyo tonight. Uh, I just want to say congratulations on the new album. Uh, it's amazing. I love it. Um, Great. What can you tell us a little bit about the title, the name of it? What inspired you to do it?
0: Um, looking glass. Um, I, years and years ago, this is like 1969. Mm-hmm. Uh, Terry Melcher, uh, flew, flew, who was uh, producer for the Beach Boys and Birds, and was Doris Day's son and one of the early, uh, you know, kind of West Coast uh, producers for Columbia. Mm. And he was getting his own label. And so his people, you know, were searching around for artists and somebody in uh, uh, Seattle recommended me and they flew me down there and put me up in a hotel and uh, they'd come and pick me up every once in a while and take me to a party and audition me with song, you know, for my songs. And um at one point when i was sitting in the hotel i was just kind of trying to write a song you know about looking glass you know alice and looking through the looking glass right yeah and i got this uh this sort of you know dream uh voice came um as i was kind of half asleep and it said looking glass in oregon one night had a dream and i didn't know who looking glass was and it turned out that he was a the leader of the Nez Perce in the War of 1877, and it was a, an incident that kind of created a flow. Uh, and for 50 years, I wrote songs and studied the Nez Perce and got to know Nez Perce, and um, it was kind of like this epic thing in my life. And uh, finally, it got to that place where it could wait no longer, and it became an album. And wow. that's it. Looking Glass and the Dreamers. They were all. Dreamers was their religion.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, They believed that they could change things and experience things through their dreams.
1: That's so crazy that you just said that because my friend and I were just having a conversation about dreams because he and I have some really vivid dreams. Like, And we were trying to just figure out if you're the one who's dreaming it, how come you don't know the end of your own dreams? Like if it's coming from your head, you know? Isn't that weird? Well...
0: Are you sure it is?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's a good point, too. Yeah. Who knows where it's coming from?
0: Maybe um, you're just a receiver,
1: you know? Mm, yeah. yeah. Oh, man. That would be great. That'd be, that would explain a lot because I really don't know what's going on. But I'm like, I try to write them down when I wake up. And, and that's what we, I do with songs. I have right no now. idea
0: what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, of course we are.
1: What was the, What was the process like from the first song you put on this album to the last song? uh
0: well i had i mean i had most of these songs kind of sitting around for a while and i i played them occasionally in concerts and uh finally a friend of mine who does my website work and uh, was one of the original muscle shows uh swappers mm-hmm. uh marlon green said you gotta you gotta do this it's, now's the time and so he just kind of made me do it and he had a friend gary ogan who lives in the uh, uh Portland, uh, who's native, indigenous person. Um and I sent him the songs and uh you know pretty soon he had, you know, he was starting to come up with arrangements, uh kind of caught me by surprise. And it wow. some point we kind of had all of the songs or a good many of them. And I just went into the studio with my friend Gary Shelton and um started cutting them, you know. Amazing. It was uh it was just kind of a a, a process that it, it was its own evolvement,
1: you know? Right. And did the, did the, like, uh, was this pre-pand, I mean, you, this came out recently now. So was this something that you had decided over the pandemic to kind of finish, to kind of put together and do, or, or was it, you know, cause I feel like a lot of people in the pandemic, especially artists just wound up doing things. They, um, didn't think they were ever going to do, you know what I mean? They got around to projects that, that had been around for a while. And was that how, what you felt like?
0: Kind of this was, you know, something that um, I actually I never I never knew if I was really going to record it. And I just kind of got pushed into it and (laughs) it was the right time and it was the right people to play with. Uh, The other person who made a huge difference in it was uh, my friend Quilt Man, uh, Quilt Same, who is a a Warm Springs native, who unfortunately is very ill right now. But he used to play with uh, John Trudell uh, and uh, Bad Dog and some of John's different bands. Um, And he said, you know, an activist with AIM, uh, American Indian Movement. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was kind of a spiritual guide through the whole thing. You can hear
1: him on the record singing. Um, Were you, you know, I mean, we were all kind of affected by the pandemic and we were talking a little bit about it backstage. Um, And you said you were gigging a little bit beforehand, kind of going on the road. But did you miss live performances did you kind of adjust well to the streaming stuff or
0: no i hate the streaming stuff as you can probably tell i'm (laughs) really relatively incompetent with it Um, doing great
1: um, no i mean you know my
0: my habit is to you know to play for you know two or three hours a day and and i'm working on uh, a collection of uh, brand new material new songs um and you know, without any other recourse, that's what I've been doing is trying to hone them and perfect them. So when I finally get in the studio with them, um, I won't have to learn them in the studio. I'll, I'll know oh, them going in. You
1: know. That's smart. That's the that's the way to do it. Um, Do you do you kind of like when you're writing stuff? Because I always ask the musicians that we have on here and everybody's kind of got a different process and a different take. But um, do you hear a tune first in your head? Does it start with a melody or do you start lyrically first?
0: it happens both ways. You, you never know. I mean, I'd, you know, I take copious notes uh, on my, on my phone, on the recorder. Nice. And, you know, periodically just go back and see what I was saying, um, you know, and see if it sparks an idea. But a lot of times you're just, you're just sitting there playing and you hit a combination of chords, or maybe it's just a, a you know, kind of a tonality within chords. I mean, I play funny chords anyway. Mm. And sometimes, that's the thing that that triggers a, either an image. If you have an image, you can have a story, right? Right. Uh, and the the image is, is like a question. If you ask that question, it produces images. And that is how you begin to talk to yourself about the nature of the song. Um, mm. Almost all my songs are like that. I see them, you know, like looking glass. I mean, I can see looking glass in that song. Mm-hmm. Um, I have pictures of him, you know. Yeah. And a story of him.
1: Yeah. Was it, uh, is that that always how you've been since you were a kid? Like, were you musically inclined as a child? Did you always want to go into music?
0: Uh, I did. I I desperately wanted a guitar when I was seven years old. And my parents, um, for some reason, didn't want me to have a guitar. And I didn't get one until I was 19. And I borrowed one from somebody. And I learned to play it and, you know, or played it until my hands blistered and bled and calloused and... Um, finally the woman who became my first wife, uh, um, loaned me the money to buy a little small Gibson guitar that I'd been dreaming about. And wow, uh, we were off, you know?
1: Oh my God. That's awesome. And you were self-taught. But I
0: didn't get an early start. I mean, oh yes.
1: Oh wow. I'm still
0: self-taught <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> every day.
1: That's good. Who were your inspirations when you were younger?
0: Some of the classic players, I love Lightning Hopkins. He was one of the first guys that I listened to. And um, I had the the great fortune of being a, a roadie or a guide boy for um, the Reverend Gary Davis, who was a blind man who was an extraordinary player. He was a wow. New York street player. But do um, you ever remember that song of Peter, Paul, and Mary's called If I Had My Way? That was a Reverend Gary Davis song.
1: Oh, wow. And I had no he idea. he always claimed
0: it bought him a house on, yeah, he said it bought him a house on Long Island. Um, <laughs> so, I, I mean, I mean if, you, you know, if you ever listen to him, you can hear this complex way that he picks. He was an extraordinary picker. Mm-hmm. Uh, so him and um, another huge influence was Mississippi John Hurt. Um, oh. Just was a magical player. And not so much lyrically, obviously, uh, they, they have both had fairly simple songs, but that style of, of how you, you play the guitar was something that was extraordinarily influential on me. Wow. Um, the lyrics and all of that, you know, that comes from so many sources, you know, from pop music, jazz, mm. you know. Yeah. Wherever, you know.
1: Do you remember your first Whatever game? gives
0: you a picture, basically. Yeah. Uh, I played uh, in a little coffee house in Minneapolis, and and that's how I got to be, you know, the lead boy for uh, the the Reverend Gary Davis. And it was just this little coffee house that probably couldn't hold more than 30 people. And I'd play there on um, on the weekdays and... uh, singer by the name of and guitar player by the name of Dave Ray would play there on the weekends. And it was kind of the scene that Dylan, Dylan came out of it and a a bunch of different people came out of it. It was a powerful uh, music scene.
1: Yeah. Was that your first paid gig too? The same thing?
0: Well, yeah, if you can call it paid, you know, (laughs) if you got, you know, $20 $20 was a lot to get.
1: Yeah, of course. Yeah. That's what I I
0: actually remember my very first gig. Oh, Probably okay. my very first paid gig was in Seattle, you know, playing at one of the, the big concerts that Concert West put on. I mean, right. You know, I mean, yeah. I hung out with them and I was sort of a roadie for them. And oh, yeah, that's cool. They helped me get
1: my first deal. You know, nice. So was that was that what you always Long wanted to road. do? Did you did you want to play like on the road and go on a tour van and like that kind of a thing? Was that your aspiration? Uh, That was just—I mean—that
0: was the the necessary uh, part of it. I mean, Mm -hmm. what I always wanted to do was write songs and sing songs, and whatever fostered that and promoted that, that's what I wanted to do. I mean, still—I mean, it's all about the song.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because there's a lot of people, a lot of performers and musicians, especially who are somewhat introverted, but because of the fact that they have to sell that album, so they have to go out on the road. But I feel like everybody thinks, you know everybody wants to do that. Everybody wants to be out on the road, like, you know, 24 seven, but it gets exhausting.
0: Yeah. Those are the people that haven't been out on the road. <laughs> the, road the, the road will kill you. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's wonderful that you get to, you get to your gig and you do your sound check and you wait, and eventually you get to play for your 45 to an hour and a half or whatever your set yeah. is. And then you go back to the, the you know, hotel room and do it all over the next day you know and eventually you know you're you're driving two three hundred maybe more miles to play a house concert or a a small uh, you know venue you know and after a while you're a piece of meat you got to go and recover
1: yeah absolutely uh did you like la when you first went out there because you mentioned that they had brought you to some parties and stuff was that kind of did you like the parties was that have any wild nights i'm the guy at the party
0: that you find in the corner (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, watching everybody else. Right, you know, I studied all the other people. Yeah. And I mean and I met, you know, I I I you know, I met Grant Parsons and Taj Mahal and some oh, wow. other people, but I was you know, I was really green. I mean, I mm. you know, I had no idea, you know, about LA and it was you know, a few years later that I finally came uh, down and and started auditioning for record companies and eventually auditioned over the phone for uh, Ahmed Erdogan and got a deal with Atlantic and wow you know it was kind of a a fairy tale uh, you know beginning of a career in that sense
1: all right what how come you had to audition over the phone was it just the distance or he wanted to hear you like immediately
0: no I was in um, it was a famous uh, manager um, it was a, two of them they were called Green and Stone and they mm-hmm. managed Sonny and Cher and Dr. John and uh, the iron butterfly. I mean, a wow. bunch of people yeah. and they had had uh, a lot of success with Atlantic records. So I just happened to be in the office and we were trying to put a band together and Amit uh, called Charlie and Charlie said, uh, Amit, I want you to hear this kid. And, you know, had me get my guitar out of the case and he held the phone up and I played uh good time. Charlie's got the blues and another song called steel guitar Mm, and the next day Amit came with a couple people and I played the same songs again and he said what do you want to do you know wow and at that point uh, we thought we had a deal and unfortunately um, a couple members of the band had uh, drug problems and they kind of faded out into the night Mm. and I went back home to Seattle and uh, a month or six weeks later I just you know cold called Amit at Atlantic records and um, he took my call and he said, and I said, you know, I'm the guy that played into the phone for you at Charlie green's office. And wow. he said, you know, send me a tape. So I sent him, sent him a tape that I made on a old webcore tape record. I don't know if you've ever seen one of those. I have. Yeah. It has a microphone in it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's mono. And it sounds like absolute crap. Right. <laughs> and I made that and sent him that tape. And I mean, it was, I mean, I'm embarrassed by it now, but it was all I had. <laughs> no. Yeah. And so I called him back. I called him back and, and he said, yeah, I listened to your tape. I didn't hear much on it. I said, you heard the same song, two songs that I played into the phone in Charlie green's office. And mm. he said, uh, he checked with somebody and he said, yeah. He said, what do you want to do? I said, I want to make a record. Uh, he said, okay, we'll go to muscle Shoals," And wow. that was, uh, that, that was the weekend of woodstock right and so amit and i were in uh, muscle shoals and everybody else is in woodstock
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh my did you have any friends at woodstock did you feel like you were like missing out
0: no i live in washington state i didn't have a clue as to what woodstock was <laughs> i didn't know about it in, until after i was coming uh, through the airport in atlanta and i saw some guys and I asked them about, you know, where they'd been. And they said, Woodstock. And I went, oh, okay. Yeah. And then it, <laughs> weeks later.
1: Oh, somebody, one of our, one of our listeners asked, is it possible to create a family life when you were on the road? Most of it.
0: Uh, if you have a real good woman. Yes, mm. it is.
1: Nice. It's a great answer. Yeah, absolutely. I had a great one. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's crazy. You know, it's hard to imagine because, uh now with social media and everything the fact that you just said you didn't know woodstock was going on i feel like in my mind you know i was like oh you didn't see it on facebook you know what i mean like it's a weird concept and i wasn't even brought up on the internet that way either but it is a kind of a weird thing to realize that some people actually did just miss woodstock they had no idea until it was out in the paper the next day or somebody told them about it over the phone there wasn't any internet yeah 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 exactly there was nothing you know people just had a giant concert and that was it yeah
0: wow and how everybody found out about it is is amazing because it was word of mouth yeah but it was something that resonated with a whole uh, era whole culture people wanted to be involved with it and after that there were lots of of those big concerts some not so great (laughs)
1: yeah i know they tried to do it again and i think it did not work out i feel like that's a specific moment in time that you really can't replicate because they have tried to do it again to a certain extent and they're like you know what i mean it's always like the hype of the original thing that's supposed to keep everybody going but they're usually not as great
0: no because they're designed to make money yeah nobody made money at woodstock until the film came out
1: right (laughs) did you have um Somebody that you had opened for in the beginning, that kind of uh, you were kind of starstruck by, or you know what I mean, like kind of threw you off a bit. In a good way.
0: Hmm. Interesting question. Uh No, not really. Uh, I mean, I had you know, I opened you know in some weird situations. Uh, mm-hmm. I opened with just an acoustic guitar uh for yes oh uh, wow when yes was at the height of its popularity <laughs> and um uh, you know it was like you know being in front of a herd of elephants you know it's, it's strange <laughs> but the audience the audience was great i mean you know they they listened uh i had yeah. forgotten my uh harmonica holder and i used to i mean i play harmonica when i'm uh, you know singing good time charlie and a couple other songs mm-hmm and uh, john hammond jr was in the the wings and um i guess my harmonica holder broke or something right and it, he was he was playing a gig the next night or something he ran over to his hotel which was across the street and came back and, and brought me his harmonica holder so i could finish my set that's he's, so cool he's been a friend ever since wow yeah it was wonderful that is awesome
1: yeah, I feel like uh, a lot of people think that musicians all know each other. So it's like one of those, you know what I mean? Like just anybody in the business, anybody from comedians to musicians that we all just magically have this connection or know each other. But it's often stories like that or like a, a moment like that where you just like meet somebody for the first time who's in the you know, uh, same career that you're in and then you kind of bond over it.
0: Yeah. Well, and I mean, you're never in the same place that anyone else is unless you're at a festival, which is one of the great things about the festivals is that you get to hang out with people that you've loved their music and, mm-hmm. you know, you know them in, in a sense, but you've never met them. Mm. Um, I went to a, a big festival in Edmonton one time and God, there were all just everybody was there from Katie Lang and Rodney Crowell and Doug Song and wow. Eric Anderson. I mean, just a whole bunch of people that I, I was very fond of and just had never had any time with.
1: Wow.
0: yeah, Great experiences.
1: If you could have uh, somebody in your audience, like another musician that you really admire, and they could be alive or dead, but who would you want to? See? If you were playing your concert and you looked out in the audience and you saw, so who would you want to see out there?
0: Maybe Waylon, you
1: know. Oh, all right.
0: I always love Waylon.
1: Yeah, Waylon did my
0: favorite version of "Good Time Charlie," other than my own.
1: So. Oh, okay, um, that's a good one too. Yeah, I feel like you've been covered by a lot of artists. Do you uh, find I, that flattering or?
0: Oh, it's the it's the greatest compliment that you can have.
1: Yeah, you know that somebody finds
0: the 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 resonance of themselves in your song uh, enough to want to you know either recreate it or uh, create a new version. Uh, which is one of the reasons I like uh, Waylon so much is that he just did it like Waylon did. He didn't try to do it like me. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I mean, I I wish I had you know five of those kinds of songs that everybody wanted to sing everywhere.
1: Yeah. You know, you know what's crazy. Uh, everybody wants talk, at least we'd one be talking on the ranch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But everybody wants at least one of those songs, you know what I mean? And not a lot of people have them.
0: So it's pretty yeah, cool. To yeah, and that. It's a, I consider it a gift. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so grateful that it happened. And it, it, it was created in a, a you know, a, a fairly impoverished situation when I was, you know, 24, 25, And, um, it just flew, you know, right through me. And Mm -hmm. it was a a song that, you know, probably 45 minutes and it was done. And I probably had an extra verse that I threw away and that was it. And there was something about it that when I went to play it for record people, um, it always got a, um, I I can see the dollar in the eye.
1: Wow. Wait, do you, do you remember the verse that you threw away? I haven't no a clue anyway, okay. <laughs> way too would... many years ago. <laughs> um, what was, what was, I mean, what was the inspiration for good time, Charlie?
0: Um, uh, it actually was kind of based on a guy, but it's also based, you know, on me and a whole bunch of people, you know, that I knew, but one mm-hmm. in particular who had, um, it was, it a, a, was a guy that I liked a lot. He just happened to be a drug dealer. And he had a, um, A heart attack. He was older than I was. Uh, He was probably in his forties, and I was in my twenties. But he was one of those guys on the street that I looked up to, and um, I just liked him. Yeah. And he had a heart attack, and uh, you know, it was like that—that dawning thing that uh, you—you—you—you don't always get when you're young until someone very close to you has uh, a brush with death, and then all of a sudden, um, you know, you begin to realize that.
1: Life is short, make it wide. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. That is, Polly has a question too. He was asking, how much has changed since you started with your connection to music, if any at all? Like, have you felt a big shift in music?
0: In the music itself, uh, mainly
1: because of,
0: of the, the kinds of instruments, the kind of instruments changed. Uh, there's so much digital um, and you can do an enormous amount just on a screen. Mm-hmm. um so that that is a huge change um but the inspiration and in all of that i mean we we're always you know all of us talk about the common things that happen to us you know love life death um mm-hmm. going broke getting rich um all of that stuff say stays relatively the same and it's just how you uh, what kind of clothes you put on it more right. than anything else
1: yeah that's a good way to put it yeah um good time charlie was just in uh one of I think Netflix's most popular movies right now, The Tender Bar um, with uh, Ben Affleck and oh, my God, I can't remember the kid's name, but he's great. Um, yeah, that's yeah, great. That's great. I, yeah. Can't remember his name now. That's going to drive me crazy. Um, great cast, though. But uh, was that a surprise to you when it was in there? or Did you know ahead of time?
0: Complete surprise. Wow. Uh, Jackson Brown uh, got in touch with me, and because he had a couple songs in it, and he said, mm-hmm. "I was just—he uh, was just playing one of the tunes at the uh, cast party or whatever, you know, premiere party." Right. And um, uh, and got in touch with me. He said, "You know, your song's in there too," and <laughs> you know, I'm I'm completely doubting. You know and, and until I see the credits uh, you know but did you, you know, did you, you call can't, him back can't you, Jackson
1: yeah exactly did you call him back And you're like uh I would have liked to have played at the cast party Jackson <laughs> well he didn't have anything
0: to do with me no no I, mean, I know, was, you know <laughs> just like I'm up
1: I'm up here Jackson's
0: down there you know? yeah 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 no I know just... <laughs> uh, no it just was it was one of those wonderful things you know the serendipity of yeah uh, you know the and the connectivity of that song is it's way beyond me. You know, I'm yeah. just happy to be a participant in whatever happens with it.
1: Yeah, it was perfectly placed in the movie. Have you seen the movie yet?
0: Yes. And I loved where they put it. And it just, you know, it the, all of the songs in that movie are used that way, that mm. they help um, to explain a scene. Right. Yeah. Even if they're just kind of background yeah. songs, they're, they're part of the story. Uh, of the narration of that, of that film. I I love what he did with it.
1: Absolutely. Those are my favorite. I love when a, when a a good movie to me combine has like a great plot, obviously good actors and all that stuff, but the way they put music in it is really important to me because I feel like that can also help you tell the story and propel it.
0: And, and not all directors understand uh, the power of a song or even the incidental music and, and, you know, they don't care because that's not where their focus is. Their focus is on the dialogue and the scenes and all of that. But that's why we put, I mean, that's why we have music as a kind of a, a a background narration to our lives.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah.
0: We all, we all have those moments, you know, where, Oh yeah, that song. I remember I was at the lake,
1: you know, Mm -hmm. Polly Chaser wants to know, is there something you still would like to achieve in your career? Um,
0: greater appreciation for for more of my material that i've written i think it probably is the it's the biggest thing that you know i mean i have i have a lot of music that you know probably most people haven't heard even though it's been recorded
1: i agree man you have you've got a great collection of songs and stuff is it you know uh, I, it's funny to me that you didn't even know it was in your uh, that it, that your song was going to be in tender bar because i think to the layman you know that whole thing has to go through the person who wrote the music but it's funny to me that that's not the case no it, wow no one ever tells you oh my god i mean i will see um
0: i'll get you know um accounting from wherever you know warners or wherever and they'll just have you know the song listed and there may be versions there that i mean i have no idea who cut them i i it doesn't say you know Mm. so unless i get a call from someone or you know i happen to hear it being played somewhere i usually don't know know? that is
1: wild we we got a tip from a a band that we had on a really great duo called roses and revolutions and they kind of uh Uh you know one of their one of their um things is like the trade yeah tricks of the trade basically is that they like to write their music for like tv shows and stuff like they kind of think of it that way but uh they figured out if they named their songs um something kind of generic that these tv shows now and these movies literally won't pay attention to the lyrics they just google what they're looking for so they're like relationship ends and then if this if a song title pops up with that in it they just use the song and and they noticed it because is music that sad yeah isn't it <laughs> it, it is. is and they noticed it it's because it's pathetic it's it totally is. Uh, they noticed it because some of their songs wound up in movies or TV shows that had nothing to do with what was going on in the scene. And they were like, that song right. is not about this. But they did it because they all they did was Google the name. So just rename all your songs like cleaning the kitchen. <laughs> right. And then somebody will throw that in a movie and you're done. That's it. Well, the more. Oh, yeah, <laughs> the more had a great question, too, said music about native people has a unique history How would you describe your experience looking through the looking glass?
0: Well, as I was mentioning earlier, it came to me in a dream. I didn't know who looking glass was. Mm -hmm. And it, it, you know, almost as though the uh, universe was speaking to me. um, It began this long journey. And I mean, I came, I mean, I'm born and raised in that same plateau country that the Nez Perce came from and the Yakima and all the other uh, different indigenous peoples. And I didn't know anything about them. Mm. And, you know, they've been here for 16,000 years. And most of us know very little about their history and know very few of them. Um, right. In Washington state, the, the prejudice against uh, Native Americans was uh, was deep and extensive and still is to a degree, except the the Native peoples have have, you know, gained their voices and their power, you know, partly through the, the media that now has become available to them. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's like learning about anybody else's culture. You have to you know, do it slowly and don't make assumptions and um, have respect.
1: Yeah. Great point. Yeah. There was a, there's a movie on Netflix uh, that's still on there now, but I remember when it first came out, have you ever seen a movie called wind river? Oh man. Great movie. Right. Wasn't it a great movie? movie? Loved that movie. And I had no idea yeah, until the end. Movie. Yeah. Me too. It's one of the, It's a I think it's a beautiful film and kind of heartbreaking, too. But I've watched it again and again, and I didn't know the part of in the end when they say how many, um, you know, Native Americans go missing, but they're not registered and no one goes looking and all that. Like, I had no idea that was like a thing. Oh, yeah. Native
0: American women, I mean, have been so heavily abused, I mean, particularly in the West. I mean, you know, there's a horrible amount of racism in the west that doesn't always get you know called that right but it's been going on forever i mean if you look at the the, the amount of genocide the numbers mm-hmm. uh since uh, you know the pilgrims landed uh it, it, it is a boggling number in the many
1: of millions
0: right um you know we're we're conquerors we're not uh, we're not particularly kind in our process
1: i absolutely agree and it's tragic History uh, is it- tainted by the victors, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Another question says, which song is your favorite to perform?
0: Uh, usually it's it's an, one of the newer ones, mm. you know, that you know, has a particularly, you know, powerful meaning to me that I'm, uh, you know, in the process of, of discovering, which that's really what happens in a song that it doesn't really finish itself. It's a constant process of rediscovery as you keep performing it. Um, I have a song about an old dog and I'll guarantee you it, uh, you know, there will not be a dry eye in the audience um, when I sing it. And I have to be very careful of it it, because it is a very powerful song, but there are some things that, that we don't protect ourselves very well, even though we want to. And one of those is, um, the deep love we have for our animals yeah especially once we lose
1: absolutely yeah yeah i just had a friend who lost a cat recently and it's like you know you need to and it made me think of my own pets that i've lost you know that i've had that i've lost over the years too it's weird you never let that go no it's unconditional Mm
0: -hmm. No, and i mean we have many more safeguards against our our emotional responses with people and they come out in different ways and sometimes they're, you know, they're as horrible and you sob and all of that. Yeah. But you know, the dog that was your constant companion or the cat that cuddled up with you every night, boy, you don't have
1: uh, many safeguards against that kind of emotions. Absolutely. And, and mostly because too, like when, when it's a person that dies, you know, you know in your head that they have an understanding of what's happening when it's an animal, you're just like, you have no way of explaining what's happening to them when they get sick. They know. They do. You think they do? I hope they do, man. I used to get—I used to get so upset when, like, they one of them would get sick or would have to take it to the vet. I'd be like, man, they don't understand a thing. <laughs> I don't know how to explain it to them. Like, it would always be just be heartbreaking.
0: They understand it. I mean, I've, all the animals I've had, I—I felt that they—they they had a, a, a complete awareness of what yeah. was happening to them. Um, one of the things that did should always remember is never leave your animal at the vet's. You know, yeah. either stay with them or take them home. And you know, there's nothing that they hate worse than that loneliness of, of being in a cage at a veterinarian's.
1: Yep. I've never done that. I can't, I won't do any of that. Um, and, it's, yeah. and especially with having, a, for some reason, you, people think cats are not at all friendly and every cat I've had has acted exactly the way a dog would until I realized it was just acting the way an animal, a pet would like he runs to the door when I come home, you know, pushes the blinds aside. When I pull up in the driveway, it's the same thing. Yeah. All you have to do is remember the wet food. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's actually the name of my first album. Remember the wet food. Uh, it's just, it's just shit. <laughs> I out, sing to right. my cat when I'm walking around the house. <laughs> 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 um yeah, cement. forget
0: the kibbles. I want the wet food.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. You should do a whole album of of cat and dog country music. But you have to yeah, do it. as soon as that contract comes
0: and they ask <laughs> for it, I'll write it up.
1: That would be amazing. You know someone at the ASPCA. Yeah. <laughs> Time to make the call. <laughs> right. <laughs> that would be incredible. Um well the, the other thing too about the album, man, is like is it, do you, the stuff that you're working on now, do you think it'll branch off from this? Or are you going in a completely different direction?
0: Oh, it's completely different. I mean, cool. these are essentially, uh, i am gone back to, you know, um, sort of my roots, you mm-hmm. know, which were uh, acoustic music. And this would be an acoustic record, uh, maybe with, you know, my friends playing bass and a little percussion, but, pretty much just voice and guitar um right because that's where i think that the nature of the the, these songs is and they don't want production to uh, sort of get in the way of the words and the music so gotcha you know we'll let the chips fall where they are it's probably my last record as far as i know but um i just want it to be the, the the
1: best possible performances i can i can i can make you know nice Uh, And you were talking a little earlier about, you know, what's changed in music, the digital content and stuff. Um, You know, all the stuff going on with Spotify and like Neil Young and stuff, right?
0: Yes, of course.
1: Yeah. What do you do you have any opinions on that? Just, you know, what. Well, I I don't have any any
0: of the music that I control on Spotify. Mm. I never did put it on there. Right. Um, Any of my music is is the stuff that's controlled by the labels that I was on. Sure. Um, And they have all of the administration rights. I don't own any of that stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm powerless, you know, in that sense. But um, my music is up on um, on Apple and on uh, a couple of the others. Right. Um, But I never did like Spotify. I mean, they you know, they paid really crummy from the beginning and they're making lots of money and they're making lots of money off us. And we can't do anything about it as artists and publishers and writers. Right. Be- because our stuff is owned, you know, unless we have that fortune like Neil does and did. Right. And that he got all of his rights back. Mm-hmm. You know? So but he's a you know, he's in a much more powerful position.
1: Yeah, yeah. What do you what do you think about I, people I, you spelling- know, I,
0: I don't know whether he was right or wrong, but right he, you know, when Joe Rogan's getting two hundred thousand dollars and the rest of us are getting a $1,
1: thousand million of yeah. a cent per play. Right. Yeah wow no i agree with that completely and and the you know the anti-vax stuff is another good reason to pull all that you know all that music and stuff too um is it uh is it but do you do you ever feel like there's a different way like spotify does it obviously horribly they don't pay people enough but do you like the digital content do you feel like that's a great way to consume music and find new artists and things like that
0: Uh, it isn't for me because I, I'm not looking for new artists. But right. um, I mean, I've I, I rarely listened to to other performers, uh, you know, uh, peers, contemporary right. um, wow. songwriters, because I, I, you know, I'm 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 an impressionable boy, and the last <laughs> thing I want to do is if I'm listening to your songs and all of a sudden I'm writing a song the next day and one of your lines pops in there and I don't know it. Uh, that's a curse you know absolutely I mean, man at one point i you know I, I loved listening to the rolling stones around the beggars ba- banquet period and i started writing rolling stone songs and i went oh no we don't want to do that <laughs> well that's we'll a good never point, do yeah. it as well as mick and keith so yeah, <laughs> yeah. so i mean it, it, it doesn't matter i mean i you know however my music gets heard great you know i mean I don't want to go through the process of, of putting out another CD just because they're damn near dead.
1: Right. Um, well, th- I just want to thank you first of all, for coming on with us, dude, but I've, I've got uh, the last three questions that we ask every guest. So the first one is, is if you could go back in time and talk to your younger self, what piece of advice would you give yourself that would help you today?
0: Ah, such a great question. Um, be more open. You know, accept the gifts that come to you. Mm. Um, uh, I had an opportunity uh, in the early 70s to sign with David Geffen, and I didn't do that. Wow. Uh, and I consider that still a great mistake. Um, if you're in the business, get a good lawyer. Um, mm. yeah. You know, let them handle all of your legal aspects and negotiations and all of that. And just remain friends with the people who are going to do you um, as much good for your career as can happen. Uh, that was, you know, probably my biggest regret.
1: Okay. Great advice. Absolutely. Um, second question is uh, what had to end in your life, good or bad that led you to where you are today? Uh, probably my
0: father's death at 16. Wow. Died a crummy death from multiple myeloma. And I think that was a, a, you know, a, a, a powerful, a, a depressive, you know, energy at the time. But over the years, um, those things that happen to us that are so crushing, they are, are huge um, nodes of energy. And if you use them creatively, uh, they can be very powerful. You know, the, the things that resonate emotionally deep within you are the things that you need to be able to access uh, in in your creative life, because that's the juice you know, that's the stuff that will connect
1: with others. That's great, man. Solid. Um, and then the last one is a goofy question. That's uh part of the theme of the show. So brace yourself. Uh, so, um, if this was a real dystopia, you know, uh, volcano erupting, uh, climate changes hit aliens, zombies. Um, what would be your epic death? How would you want to go out? Well, uh, Probably real high, um, you know, <laughs>
0: blasting them with my um, my shotgun as they tried to get through the door. You
1: know? I like it. Maybe Love not, it, man. You
0: know, maybe so they'd great. be pals, you know. Yeah. You know, maybe I'd, I maybe I'd have you know a, a blunt, and they'd walk in and go, "Hey, brother!" You know, and <laughs> off we'd go to you know Cygnus or one of the uh, you know fabulous places out there beyond. That's us. great.
1: I think before yes. dystopia hits, Tom and I are going to come over. If you got one of those, uh, <laughs> that'd be great. Oh yeah. I'll roll one up. Yeah. Where do you live again? Burberry. I'll be waiting on you. Uh, What time is it? <laughs> uh, t- it's been a blast talking to you, man. I-, I really love the new album and I hope to hear some of your songs and movies again. And I can't wait for the next one.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much Thank for joining you so us. Appreciate it. Uh, you're bearing with me
1: oh yeah no problem man Not, it was again all, all my pleasure and our pleasure and uh you know everybody had a great time so thank you yep thanks so much alright right. have a great night right.
0: it's Tokyo tonight